welcome to the Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we talk to anyone working in the food industry in and around our city. Our goal is to take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. I'm your host, Max Connor. I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Little, after a pretty long hiatus for us. Neil, good to see you, man. How you doing? It's uh, good to be back. It's been a little bit, and I appreciate your guys' patience while Max uh, travels the globe on us and exploring wild new cultures. Uh, how was your trip to Tokyo? Oh, dude, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, my wife and I went to Japan for 11 days. Four of that was in Tokyo. We left the kids behind, and we had an absolutely incredible time. Put it at the top of your list. For anyone who's thinking about going to Japan, I've been a lot of places. It is one of my favorite places ever. And when it comes to food, there is maybe no place better in the world. That's awesome. I am really jealous. Tokyo is very high on my uh, list of places to go. Uh, one of the other things I'm enjoying right now is it's finally good weather for cooking. I love cooking, but during the spring and the summer, you know, I just don't like getting the house up to like 120 degrees and having to deal with all that. And so it's been fun getting back into cooking. And one of my favorite things to cook on a lazy afternoon like today is a grilled cheese sandwich. How about you, Max? Oh, yeah, man. Grilled cheese sandwich with a bowl of soup. I made some leftover ham soup the other day in the crock pot. I'm starting to do some baking because it's that time of year and I love to bake. But yeah, grilled cheese and a bowl of soup. Nothing better than that, man. It was one of my first dishes that I definitely fell in love with with my mom. And I, uh, a nice cheddar, ch- cheddar cheese, grilled cheese with a uh, tomato soup is fantastic. And we are fortunate to have on today Julie Casota, who is one of the cheesemongers here in Sacramento, who Max found, I believe. How did you find her? You know, I just came across her on Instagram. She makes these amazing cheese boards and charcuterie plates. And I noticed that she was a cheesemonger. You could tell that she's not just someone throwing together pretty plates. She's someone who knew her cheese. And as we found out, she's one of only eight certified cheese professionals in all of Sacramento. This is the only certification you can really get as a cheesemonger in the United States. And she talks all about it and taught us a ton about cheese because she is a cheese nerd, a cheese expert, a cheeseaholic, if you will. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yes, well, she is all those good cheese things. You and I are just cheesy and big fans of it. So <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this interview, and we will talk to you on the back end. Julie Casota, thank you so much for being here on the Dine One Six. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. So first question, we almost always ask just what food was like in your childhood and what role food played in your home growing up? Yeah, I was really lucky. Everyone in my family is really good cooks, so I grew up eating really well. I was a very picky eater, though, so I didn't eat most of the food that was prepared for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, my my parents cooked dinner every night. I have a big Italian family, so every time we'd go see my grandpa in the Bay, there was always a big Italian family dinner, lots of really good food. So I feel very fortunate that I grew up with like good cuisine in my life from an early age. What age did you start looking forward to going to grandpa's and having big Italian dinners instead of going, where's the mac and cheese? Yeah, or like what weird seafood is going to be in there? (laughs) I would say probably around like teenage years. Okay. Like when I was little, my grandpa would make me like angel hair pasta with butter. Right. (laughs) That was like all I wanted. (laughs) And like garlic bread. Always, still always want garlic bread. But yeah, as I got older, I developed more of a 
normal taste in food. And then as I've gotten even older, I feel like I've kind of refined my palate and I'm happy to try anything now. Definitely not a picky eater anymore. You definitely have to have an adventurous palate if you're going to be a cheesemonger. I mean, that's kind of the whole. Definitely. People who don't like cheese think think there's something gross about it. It's like, no, it's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's a weird sciencey food. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It is for sure. (laughs) So how did you get started then working in the food industry? Tell us a little bit about where your journey in food started. I basically spent all of my 20s trying to figure out what the hell I want to do with my life. My family had a guitar shop, and I worked there Mm. till I was 30. And all that time, I dabbled in different things. I went to cosmetology school, and then I got bored with that. I had a jewelry business where I made jewelry, and then I got bored with that. Just nothing was really, like, sticking or feeling like I wanted to do it for very long. And then I just, I don't really remember, like, a light bulb moment or anything, but there definitely was a point where I was like, I think I want to work in food, and I want to work in, like, a niche part of food. I don't want to just be, like, in a restaurant kitchen for the rest of my life. I want to have, like, a specialty. And the only thing that really kind of like made sense to me was cheese because it's been a constant in my life. I always love it. I always look for the cheesiest thing on every menu. Um, (laughs) Like if there's a five cheese grilled cheese, I'm probably going to get it Uh like to this day. So it just kind of felt like something I could deep dive into and maintain a passion for a long time. And that's been true. So when did cheese first make an appearance in your life? When did you start falling in love with it? I don't really know. I mean, probably grilled cheese sandwiches as a kid or like cheese quesadillas, mac and cheese, even like craft singles, like, you know, yep. little kid food. It's just always been my number one pick since I was a little kid. Like if there's a cheesy thing on a menu, that's what I'm getting. I used to love, I mean, just a piece of toast and craft singles in the toaster oven with mm-hmm. my dad. It's like that was the go-to snack you would make me that and cinnamon toast. I'm sorry, what like, used to? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be perfectly honest right now. Yeah. Well, I have kids now, so I get to relive all of that and eat the half-eaten scraps of yeah. of cheese toast. Let's upgrade that cheese a little bit. It, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So did you work in restaurants at all or work in food before getting into cheese? And that's where you decided, I like food, but I don't want to, I don't want to do this part of it. Yeah, basically right when I was deciding that was going to be my path, the guys who owned Lowbrow, Michael Hargis, and Clay Nutting, they were opening Block Butcher Bar next door. And I basically like beat down their door and was like, please hire me. And they hired me as a hostess, and I did that for probably the first, I don't know, three or four months. And then there was an opening in the little kitchen. It's like a teeny tiny little front kitchen area. And there was an opening in there, and I basically begged for that too, and they let me in there. And Then I started making cheese boards and the meat boards and salads and sandwiches. That's cool. So you've gotten to see how real charcuterie is made from the ground up as out working in there. Yeah. Yeah, Brock, I'm blanking on his last name. Um, McDonald. Yes, thank you. Yeah, he was making his own charcuterie there, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. Right on. So it's kind of funny you mentioned that. One of my favorite stories with a buddy of Lucas 
Uh, this was back in 2015 when Empress first opened. We did a lunch at Butcher Block on a Tuesday morning when you guys were getting all of your cheese deliveries. Oh, okay. And we had like a $300 lunch because every time cheese would go by, it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll take two of those. Yeah. And we'll take three of those. <laughs> I might have been there that and day. That might have been you. No, and it's funny. We've told He and I have told this story multiple times, and it's I'm going to give you credit for that. Yeah. yeah. The cheeses were outstanding. And we just sat there and drank and ate cheese and meats for hours. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool concept. I mean, lowbrow kind of morphed it into a different thing, but it was cool. It was a good, fun place to like really kind of cut my teeth and that kind of work. Did you do more than just work in the cheese shop there or were you serving and doing other things? I did serve a little bit, but I was mostly just the back of house. That little two foot by two foot yep. area. Yep. 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 It was a really fun place to work, though. I had a really good time. Nothing but good memories there. A lot cool. of fun memories yeah. there, yeah. Yeah. What did you start learning about cheese there that started to kind of really take you from, like, I like cheese to just I find cheese fascinating, and this is 100% what I want to focus on? I think one of the things that really still to this day grabs me about cheese is that it's always evolving. There's always new cheeses. All the cheesemakers experiment with new recipes all the time. So there's always more to learn. There's always more to try. There's always different pairings to experiment with. Like it's just kind of ever evolving. And I think that is really kind of what pushed me to be like, okay, I can really learn a lot more of the history of cheese, the science of cheese, about cheeses specifically, and then see where that leads me. I didn't really have like an end goal. I still don't really. It's more just kind of whatever paths open in front of me as I continue to work. Now, are you teaching yourself about these things or is there someone you're learning from or is there a quote unquote cheese school? There's a few places that do cheese classes, but they're more for like the average consumer and not so much for cheese professionals. There's not really training or education. It's very learn on the job. I worked for Whole Foods for a number of years and I learned a ton there, mostly about like working for corporate. But yeah, it's all really kind of self-taught. Yeah. There is one credential that the U.S. has for cheesemakers or cheese professionals. And it's a pretty, it's a doozy. Basically, I just did it. It was certified cheese professional exam. And I just took it in July. And I just found out last week that I passed. Congratulations. So that's yeah. pretty cool. There's only eight of us in Sacramento. That Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. It was really hard. It's a, like very long, in-depth exam. And you have to like self-study. There's not like courses you can take mm -hmm. or anything. Not to bring up PTSD, but like what were you asked? What were some of the expectations on the test? I mean, is it like the sommelier of cheese kind yeah, of sort of thing? Basically. Okay. Yeah, it's really broad. So it's not just for cheesemongers. It's for cheesemakers. It's for... Affineurs, which are like cheese agers. There's over 200 of us, and we're like probably three feet from each other, and you really can't look around. There's like proctors walking around. So I didn't really have any concept of where other people were at. Mm -hmm. And so when I finished, I got up and I looked around, and I was like, oh my God, everyone is still taking it. Like, why am I done so fast? <laughs> and then I just like sat out in a little room by myself, like, did I just totally bomb that whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> But I ended up passing, so that's cool. That's great. Yeah. So you don't get to taste any cheese during the no, exam. No, it's just a, it's like a multiple choice thing. That's a real yeah. downer. Yeah. Seems but there unfair. Was, there was a whole bunch of after parties. Okay. Yeah. That's good. It was like all you could eat cheese at like seven different places after Oh, that. wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was really fun. Let's talk about yeah. the cheese science and what happens 
to a cheese when it ages. So let's just start there. Like, what's the difference between a Parmesan that's cheap that you buy in the store that's hardly aged or may not even really be Parmigiano Reggiano or right. versus something that's aged 12 months, 18 months, 24 months? What happens to the cheese? Really with aging, if for a hard cheese like Parmigiano Reggiano, what's really happening is just moisture loss. So as the moisture leaves the cheese, it gets denser and harder and different minerals will crystallize. And yeah, basically you get different texture for letting it age longer. Some of the main difference between like a cheaper Parmesan versus Parmigiano Reggiano is like the milk type. Parmigiano Reggiano has to be raw milk and there's like very specific time frames. Like it has to be delivered to the cheesemaker at a specific time. If it's over that, they can't use it. Um, they have to reserve, I think it's 15% for the next day. So it's like a very specific process. It's a protected origin cheese, so it has to be made a very specific way. But the cheaper stuff that you can buy, they can make any way they want. So it's not, it's usually more like in a commodity factory and less hands on it. Yeah. What's one of the most fascinating cheese processes? Because, I mean, we could talk cheese processes and types of cheese for 10 hours. Yeah, Um, it's endless. Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the most fascinating ones that you think people would never think of or don't know about? I think that people really misunderstand blue cheese. I until maybe a few years ago, I assumed that the like you know sometimes when you get blue cheese you can see like little holes. I assumed that it was like injected in there, but it's not actually the blue bacteria is added in the early cheese making process, but it needs oxygen to kind of bloom. And so those holes are just piercing it to allow oxygen in mm. so that the bacteria can bloom. So that's why sometimes you'll get a blue cheese that has like a lot of veining and then sometimes you'll have some that have hardly any. It's just they can really control how much they want to make it blue. Interesting. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I think blue cheese is one of the cheeses that really throws people off the most just by like you, you, you talk about bacteria in food. You're like, hold on, time out. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm now I mean, concerned. It's, it's visible mold yeah. that you're eating. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are some other common misconceptions about cheese? I think a lot of people in especially American diet culture just assume that all cheese is bad for you, that it's just like a block of fat. And there is a lot of fat in it, but... The amount of cheese people eat in a sitting is actually quite small. So what you're ingesting is not even that much. And there actually is a lot of like health benefits to cheese too. In like one little cube of Gouda or maybe like a baby bell version of Gouda is is more K3 vitamin than you can get in any other source. And that has like cancer fighting properties and antioxidants. And yeah, it's kind of like a superfood. So if you eat like mm. one little baby bell Gouda a day, you're like helping fight off cancer. Nice. So one baby bell keeps the doctor away. Yeah. God, that's all I need. Yeah. yeah I, mm-hmm. I do apple and cheese every morning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Super healthy. I would imagine too a lot of cheeses that, you know, even blue cheese and things that have bacteria ultimately play into the new science of your the microbiome in your gut and, you know, cultured yogurts and those sort of things yeah, as well absolutely. that are, it's a fermented that are healthy. Food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You yep. have a favorite blue cheese from Northern California. There's a lot of good ones for sure that you see on menus around town, but. Yeah. My favorite blues from Oregon. Okay. Not California. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's a smoky blue from Rogue River Creamery. Gotta go find that today. Yeah. It's super good. I think you can find it at the co-op. It's 
So I'm not usually a fan of smoked cheeses. Mm. Sometimes to me, I feel like they've been like washed in hot dog water. Like they just like, <laughs> it just doesn't, that's what it smells like to me. Sorry, that's quite a visual. But this one, it's smoked over hazelnut shells. So it's mm. like a really nutty, roasty smoke, not like a campfire or like a meaty smoke. So it just kind of permeates the cheese in a really like nice, subtle way without hitting you in the face. What are some cheeses you like to introduce for the person who's kind of in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Who maybe, you know, myself, I'll say, someone who loves cheese, but I would not pretend to know very much about cheese. But like if you put a cheese plate in front of me, I'm probably going to try and like all of them, but I don't know a ton about cheese. What are some cheeses you love to then introduce to the person you're making a big platter and you're like, I'm going to throw some of this, a little bit of this on here to blow people's mind. That's something they've never tried before. Yeah, I like to take kind of your household favorites like Gouda, cheddar, brie that everybody knows, everybody's tried. I like to take those and elevate them. So I like to find like a really good, better cheddar or like a really nice aged crystallized Gouda or like on the little platter I brought you guys, a, a goat's milk brie. So it's it's familiar, but it's different. You'll taste it and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I kind of know this taste, but not like this. So it can kind of open your mind and your palate up to being able to, like, elevate those household cheeses that are probably in your drawer. Yeah. So it kind of almost sounds like you're talking about, like, tiers of cheese and go, like, from the basic easy ones and on down into the funkier and funkier. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It would be hard, like, if no one, if you're talking with someone who's never really tried more than just, like, grocery store cheeses. Mr. Kraft Singles over here. It would be, (laughs) it'd be really hard to, like, throw a funker at you, you know? Like, you're not going to like it. You kind of have to, like, work towards that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, again, I'm not going to, like, push anything on anyone. Sure. One of my closest friends hates goat cheese, and I just respect her choice. (laughs) I would have a hard time trusting that friend. <laughs> she just, she can't get over the smell of it. And I get it. It's kind of barnyardy. And that's fine. If I make a cheese plate and I know she'll be there, I, I'm always like, that one's goat. Just so you know. <laughs> if you're going to eat it, you're not going to like it. <laughs> when did you start realizing that you wanted to make these platters for people and start introducing people to different cheeses? When I was working in L.A., The shop I was working at, we did tons of platters, especially in the holiday season, to the point where I would have to staff people just to be back of house making platters. And so when I moved back to Sacramento, there's not really a lot of like cheese opportunities here. So when I moved back, I was like, maybe that could be its own thing. Like, I thought that when we were in L.A. that, like, we almost don't even need the store part. We can probably just do this with platters. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe I could do that. And, yeah, it's been it's been good. I mean, lucky for me, it became trendy, like, in that time frame. It might not be as successful as it is if that hadn't happened. So that's great for me. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. When I started it, I didn't really have any, like, businesses to kind of model after. So I was just kind of figuring things out as I went, kind of using the knowledge I had from the store in L.A. And now it's like there's a million. There's so many that, like, it's kind of like a lot of people's side hustles now. So walk us through the process of, like, creating a platter. Like, so if, say, I was reaching out to you, do you would you send me a list of, like, likes and don't likes? Or how does that process go so you create something for me? Kind of. So I have, like, an order form. And on that... 
there's a place where you can say anything you want. I try to do it from like a cheesemonger's perspective instead of like just a, a party platter. So you can make requests. I may not be able to get what you want, or I just might not want to use what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I know like, better wrong, than you. Wrong, Trust me. Yeah. wrong. No, we're not doing that with that fruit. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, or, or some things are just seasonal too, where I'm like, sure. oh, I can't get that for you right now. Yeah. So explain like the cheesemonger's perspective you just talked about. Like how, how do you look and approach at these things? I think about what flavors go together. I think about seasonality. Whenever I get my so the wholesale vendor that I usually buy from they send out a monthly update with what they have like their catalog and there's almost always something seasonal in there and I always order the seasonal things just to keep things fresh so that the platters aren't repetitive some people might want more consistency but I like them to be different every time no two platters are the same there might be some repeating elements but they'll never be the exact same platter so <laughs> you mentioned seasonal like sort of like this is going to sound dumb. Like like peaches are grown in the summer. Are cheeses seasonal or are you yeah. talking more flavors seasonal uh, or both, both? Both, yeah. So like on the one I brought you, there's a cinnamon cheese. So that's definitely like a fall, winter seasonal. But there are also seasonal cheeses that are only made in the winter or only made in the summer based on how the animals graze and the hmm. kind of milk they produce. Oh. So like the summer milk is better for certain types of cheese. Winter milk is better for certain types of cheese. There's a pretty famous one called Vacherin Mondor, and that is only wintertime. And it's kind of funky. It comes in like a little wooden round box, and it's super gooey. Like cut the top off, and you just dip a crusty bread into it or crackers or whatever. But that is made using summer milk, yeah, summer milk, which is richer because they're grazing fresh pastures with wildflowers and herbs and in the winter, they have to have their hay-fed food because the pastures aren't available. So it's just there is a lot of seasonality with artisan cheese, yeah. So now is that for goat, sheep, and cow alike? Mm-hmm. Or Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, they, have their, they all have their seasons when certain milks make better cheeses. I would have never thought of that. No, yeah, and, that's and, fascinating. And, and saying, putting it out there, it's like, no, duh, that makes perfect right. yeah, sense. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel dumb for not realizing that. But yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. Well, most people don't think about the actual animal that cheese is coming from. You right. know, there's a lot of processes that happen from the animal to cheese being on your plate. And that's not something the average person thinks about. That's something that I think about. <laughs> and we all appreciate like, you doing that. Like yeah. Cheese nerds think about Right. <laughs> Now, when yep. you order, are you ordering locally? Because, I, I mean, I remember seeing, I forget what it was on a couple of years ago, but there was, like, the cheese trail through Marin yeah, and yeah. Petaluma and Sebastopol. That's super fun. Yeah, so do you order from out there? Do you order locally from Sacramento, Oregon? Where do you order from? Yeah, so the the wholesale vendor that I usually order from is based in the Petaluma area. Mm-hmm. It's Tamales Bay Foods, and they are owned by, or they own, not sure which way that goes, but Calgary Creamery. Oh, okay. And so they carry all the Calgary Creamery products. They carry most of the California products. And then they also, they have stuff from all over the country. And then they also have imported stuff too, like kind of the classics. But since they're just in Petaluma, I can get it really quickly. And it's always really fresh and good quality. And yeah, they're a pretty awesome company. Are there cheeses? I think I already know the answer to this, but are there cheeses that... 
are have to be made in certain regions and parts of the world to be considered that name brand cheese, much like champagne has to be from the Champagne region of France to be considered champagne. You know, sparkling wine from Napa is not champagne. Yes. Is it similar with cheese where you can find something that's like Manchego that's made in Northern California, but it can't be called Manchego yeah. or is that that type of thing? I don't think Manchego is protected, but yeah, there's tons and tons and tons, mostly in in Europe. We don't really have that in the U.S. so much, but in Europe, yeah, there's tons of protected cheeses where they have to be made in certain regions with certain types of milk from a specific goat breed or it gets very the minutia and making them is insane. I had to learn some of that when studying for the exam and I had flashcards on like the big ones and I could not keep any of it straight because it's just so <laughs> much. It's like aged for three months on spruce shelves. Like it's just it's very wow. specific. Yeah. I love the amount of diesel that goes into that. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and you just made a comment that, of course, was like a, another no dub, but like the different breeds of cows and goats mm -hmm. and sheep that can create different types of milks and cheeses. Yeah. Like, that's fascinating. Yeah. Some are bred for different things. So, like, there's some, I think it's Jersey cows that produce the most milk. So, you get the biggest yield, but milk is like 72% water. So, it's, you're not getting a lot of like solids to make cheese with. So it's better for drinking milk or yogurt. And then there's other breeds that produce less yield, but it's like super rich in butter fat and protein. And so they make better cheeses. So they just get like kind of bred that way. I can picture two cows talking to each other. I'm a milk cow. I'm a cheese cow. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and cheese, like animals for cheese are treated so good. Like you, you can't have an unhappy animal and get good cheese. Like, like for people who are who don't eat cheese because they worry about animal welfare, eat cheese from an artisan creamery. Like those animals are treated like pets. They're so good. Yeah, they have names. A lot of cheeses are named after the name of the animal that made them. Like people are very good to their cheese animals. It makes me feel better about it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say the same for like big commodity factory stuff. But sure. On the small level, yeah, definitely. So I'm going to ask you a terrible question now. In the realm of cheeses, what is your favorite? Like, what is your go-to? Like, tonight, say you're going home and hanging out. What, what What's your go-to cheese on a Tuesday night? I feel like Tuesday night cheese is different than, like, a Friday night cheese. I love that answer. <laughs> I love that answer. Carry on. I'm the, I feel that way about wine, too. I'm like, oh, this is a Tuesday night wine. I don't want to drink a high-end one, you know? Tuesday night cheese, I would probably have, like a really crumbly crystallized cheddar with some salami. That I would make a dinner out of that. I might even do that tonight. That sounds good. It sounds like dinner to me. Yeah. yeah. But like a Friday night cheese or I'm like going to a friend's house, it would probably be Harbison by Jasper Hill in Vermont. They're one of the most awarded creameries in the U.S. They're pretty cool. They make a lot of really awesome cheeses. Harbison is kind of modeled after Vacheron Mondor, the one I was talking about. Um, but they make it year-round, and it's similar in that it's wrapped in a spruce bark, and it's really nice and gooey. You cut the top off, and you can dip right into it. It's a little funky. Sometimes it's really vegetal. I had one not that long ago that tasted just like broccoli. <laughs> Interesting. That's a yeah. flavor profile I wasn't expecting. Yeah. yeah, like they can get really vegetal. I think it's the—I'm blinking on the name, but the bacteria that makes the white rind on top of it— 
that can get really vegetal, and I think that's what imparts hmm. the flavor into it. You must be really popular with your friends. Like, I would invite you to everything. <laughs> Random Wednesday? No, no. Spider over. It's no yeah. big deal. I've kind of, I mean, when I first started, yeah, I brought a cheese plate to everything. But now, it's like, you got to specifically ask me. Right. <laughs> You've done enough enough charity. Yeah. Yeah. But if people come over to my house, there will always be a cheese plate. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 In Sacramento, where do you think the best place to buy cheese is? Outside of you. <laughs> yeah, if it's not from me. I would say probably the co-op. They have a pretty impressive cheese counter, and they have pretty knowledgeable staff. If I don't have what I need to complete an order, I can usually find what I need there. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay a bit more for it, but right. they're probably the best place to get cheese. Nugget is also really good, and Whole Foods is also really good. Let's talk a little bit about building a small business and a personal brand. You know, we mentioned cheese platters and charcuterie boards sort of came into popularity on social media mm -hmm. and or sort of became a fad soon after you got back into it. But how did you start to market yourself? I mean, you have, you've built a pretty sizable business and a good following on, on Instagram. And how did you get that process started? Especially you mentioned you're an introvert, so you don't seem like the type who's yeah. going to go out and <laughs> I'm be really selling yourself, bad about right? That. Yeah. So, really bad about how that. did you create kind of this organic momentum to where people could find you and you could make these cheese boards? I mean, part of it was just luck. I'm, I just, I don't even really know how to explain. I just kind of, I started making a bunch of platters, not for sale, just making them to kind of figure out my pricing and what they look like and sourcing products, like where the best places to get that was. And then once I had that dialed in, I made a website and just kind of put it out to the world. Mm. Um, most of my advertising is social media and word of mouth. So I probably should do more outreach, but I'm very bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> who was your first client? Who was the first person that you reached out and you got an order on the website and you were like, holy probably shit. Probably my like... mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but probably my mom. Yeah. plus move my mom there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. 100%. They're my biggest supporters, for sure. Did you connect with people you knew from the restaurant industry in Sacramento? Because obviously, yeah. I mean, even Lowbrow and Block Butcher Bar have a pretty big footprint now oh, totally. in Sacramento. Yeah. I'm still friends with Clay, and he owns Cannon and right. Frankette. And early on in my business, he hired me to do a couple special events with cheese platters at Cannon. Um, so that was cool. They were kind of like networking events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always, I've gotten a lot of support from him. I helped him open Franquette recently. Oh, did you? Cool. Yeah, I, would, I just just stopped working there like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I was just a server there. I wasn't doing cheese things. Sure. But yeah, it's good to maintain those relationships. Yeah. yeah. Especially in this time, that's something we found. I mean, we're only, this is like, I think this will probably be around episode 18 or 19. But I mean, like the connection in the Sacramento culinary oh, yeah. circle is pretty tight. And it's cool because we've talked a lot with chefs about it who have also said, especially post-pandemic-ish, if there's ever mm -hmm. such a thing. Um, <laughs> how much everyone's rooting for each other and trying yes. to help each other, and, like, there's a real camaraderie yeah, in town, Yeah, we're a really supportive cool. community, for sure. Yeah, I feel that a lot. I feel like I get a lot of support from other businesses and, you know, other people around. Even people I don't know that well will, like, share my, my stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I get a lot of referrals. It's very supportive. Now back back onto the vein of things you've sold to. Who's the most famous person you've sold to? Um, or do you know? I don't know if 
if there's, I don't know about in Sacramento, but when I was in LA, we did orders for Quentin Tarantino. The shop was in Silver Lake, so we got a lot of a lot of people coming in. Aziz yeah. Ansari would come in. He wanted to film an episode in the shop, but it ended up falling through. Christina Hendricks, the girl from Mad Men, um, the beautiful redhead, she came in a bunch of times. So a lot of different people. I feel like Mad Men and Cheese go well together. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that, that checks out. Yeah, she's <laughs> so nice. Had the cutest little dog. <laughs> Now, I see on your platter you've got some meats as well. Are mm-hmm. you equally as interested in charcuterie as cheese, or is cheese the passion and meats the side product? Yes, that. Gotcha. <laughs> cheese is the passion. I'm not a huge meat eater myself. I love salami, and, you know, I eat meat here and there, but I'm, like, 75% vegetarian. So I just—it's not something that, like, super grabs me, but if I feel like it's a vital component— and some cheese and meats go super well together, so I get it. It's just not, like, something I'm super passionate about. I have recently started using Coro Foods Salami, and they are a woman-owned company, kind of maybe the only woman-owned company doing charcuterie. Mm. And they're just they're a small business, and so I started using their products as kind of a way to support and use something a little bit different. Yeah. And they make really cool flavors, like the... There's one on that platter that's um, mole flavor. It's oh, no way. Good. What then, are some rare cheeses? Well, there's one called Longray. It's a French cheese, and it comes out around the holidays, and it's made in the same region as Champagne. So it's actually made to be eaten with Champagne. So mm. it has like a little divot on the top, and you poke holes into it, and you pour Champagne into it. It's really fun. And it kind of, the Champagne kind of changes the texture of the cheese. It goes from, like, a semi-soft to, like, really gooey. And it'll kind of, like, ooze all over the plate. Thinking about wow. a cheese with a champagne pour-over sound. That, that sounds like <laughs> yeah. New Year's Eve at its finest that's, right I there. That's I do it every New Year's yeah, Eve. That's yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But I saw that at Trader Joe's once for, like, $4, and it's normally, like, 17 So I was like, I bought all of them that yeah. they had because I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> Anything in back, bring it out. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how they managed to get that. That's, yeah, it's pretty rare. So what are some of your favorite, like, off-the-wall pairings? I love blue cheese and dark chocolate. Mm. Oh, um, okay. A specific blue cheese in particular is called Bailey Hazen Blue, and it's from Jasper Hill Creamery in Vermont. It's got to be dark chocolate, not milk chocolate. And it is just so good. It tastes like, like cheesecake. Oh. I think that something about... The chocolate, the bitterness of the chocolate brings out the sweet in the cheese, and it's just, it's an awesome pairing. Yeah, I really like that. Kind of a weird one, but like a cheesemonger favorite is a cheese called Mimolette with candy corn. No way. <laughs> so good Halloween. Yes. Good Halloween pairing. Yeah, and it seems bonkers, but it tastes like the butter with, like, toasted, like, toast with butter. Like, it, there's, I don't know why, because it's like a weird artificial candy, but <laughs> something about it together is like a really cool pairing and like it's, a, it's like a cheesemonger pro tip. <laughs> that is exactly what I want. Yeah, yeah. No, right. yeah, these are these are the home run answers I'm looking for right yeah. now. Yeah. Tuesday night's going to be fun in my house. That's right. <laughs> it's like the saving grace for candy corn. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> The only band that's going to save candy corn is expensive cheese. That, yeah. that makes right. perfect sense. Yes, Mimolette. 
And mimolette by itself is honestly not a super exciting cheese. It's kind of an interesting cheese because it ha- it's made using mites on the outside. The cheese itself is like a mild cheddar. So it's not like super interesting tasting. But paired with the candy corn, it's like toast with butter on it. Now, how did you get to the point of trying it with candy corn, though? I saw another cheese person post about it, and I was like, all right, I got to try that. And I was like, yeah, this totally works. So we're talking like a little clump of cheese and one Mm -hmm. piece of candy corn? Yeah. They did it at the same time, like one bite. Mm -hmm. When your kids are wondering where all their candy corn went, we're going to be looking at you over there. (laughs) It's fun for Halloween, too, because Mimola is bright orange, like... Oh, wow. Very bright orange. Yeah. What do the mites do to the cheese? This was on the exam. They're called, see if I can remember all this correctly from my flashcards. They're called turophagus, and they basically, they're in the arachnid family, and they look like weird little clear headless spiders. And they, yeah, they're creepy. (laughs) Um, They, basically, they excrete an oil that imparts flavor to the cheese. And they're just on the rind, so it, it kind of like goes down from the rind. Mm-hmm. And then they are vacuumed off before it's sold. So it used to be illegal in the United States because there wasn't an efficient way to get rid of them all because it comes from France. But they have figured that out, and we get it here all the time now. That's wild. There are so many weird things in food that uh-huh. you just wonder, like, who the hell uh-huh. discovered that that – I mean, you know, like – but these what? are the things I love about cheese. Yeah. No, like, absolutely. There's so it's many weird little things. And you mentioned for Halloween, is that's the, the most Halloween-y thing right? of cheese growing up. Not just yes. candy corn in this cheese. It also happens to be bright orange. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, they make it with Mites. headless clear spiders <laughs> that secrete some, some kind of enzyme onto it or yeah. whatever it is that yep. make it delicious. Where does the term cheesemonger come from? I actually don't know the source of it. It's just kind of the only title that we have, especially in the U.S. I think there's different terms in other countries. Mm-hmm. I know there's other levels of credentials in other countries. We just have the one here, and, yeah, cheesemonger is the term. Yeah. I, I don't really know the history it's of it. It's such a funny word. I mean, I literally, know. even when I emailed to reach out to you, I was, like, typing out the email, and I put cheesemonger in there, and then I went... Something about that sounds like it's is that an insult? Is that a real term? I like I had to research it to make sure, like, no, okay, that is yeah, the legit term real. of what you yeah. call someone because it sounds like it's my job title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean a lot of times I give people my business card and they'll be like, <laughs> cheesemonger. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's it. <laughs> All right, should we jump into rapid fire? Questions? I do believe it's that time. Okay. All right. We'll start with what's what food wise, what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? Gym boys. Jim Boys. Oh. Jim Boys. I love Jim Boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little Parmesan on the outside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your favorite dish to cook at home? Probably veggies and rice with a runny egg on top. Mm. I make that at yeah. least once a week. Yep. Nice. So we're going to go back say it's Tuesday night again. Where's one of your favorite spots to go get dinner? Not like a nice fancy spot, but just like a quick, easy, popping out to get some dinner tonight. Hmm. Old Faithful. Tres Hermanas. Oh. Maya's Taqueria. I love Mexican Oh, I food. love Maya's. Maya's is good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I know you mentioned Maya's. you lived the street over. I'm like, I yep. know 27th yep. Street. <laughs> yeah, I used to live parallel to there, so I went there a lot when I lived yeah. over there. Yeah, I feel like if I'm going out for just a quick, easy, don't have to think about it bite, it's probably going to be Mexican food. Yeah. I'm the same vein. 
Yeah. Or pizza. Oh, where's your favorite pizza? If we're ordering Mountain Mike's, if okay. we're going out, Pizza Source Rex. I love Pizza Source Rex. They're doing some really fun stuff over there. Yeah, we just walked by it the other day, and yeah. I haven't tried it. You, you were like, they're yeah, a little, you need to try it. Like, I don't know what they call it, but they're a little green. Whatever that dipping. dino sauce yes. is. It's like oh parsley, oregano. Yeah, it's, it's all so sorts good. of good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think and their the, potato pie might be one of the best pizzas in town. I haven't had the potato. Oh, it's delicious. Mm. Yeah. And vegetarian, too, yeah. which I normally don't go for, but. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite snack food? If I'm honest, goldfish crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Forever, there will always be at least uh, one bag in the cabinet. Forever. Bag. I'm all about the big Costco. Yeah, the Costco co- box. The yeah, I need gallon. them fresh. Okay, that I makes need them sense. Fresh. If they're stale, I don't want. No, that's just that just means you're eating them too slow. <laughs> that's exactly, <laughs> that's my exact thought. It's like it says it won't be for me. And how long does it take to go through that? I mean, if I feel like a little kid saying that that's my favorite, but it is. To, it's my go-to. What's the dish from your childhood you wish you could go back in time and eat at Grandpa's house? I don't remember specific dishes at Grandpa's house, but. I don't have to go back in time because I could just ask my mom to make me anything that I want, and she would. <laughs> um, probably my favorite thing my mom makes is, I think she made it up. It's like a Parmesan-crusted chicken. Not Parmesan chicken, but, like, she uses Parmesan as, like, the breading mm. and pan fries it, and then there's usually mashed potatoes with it. And that's, like, that's like a comfort food, but it's also really delicious. Yeah. And like, anytime I... Well, they live up in Grass Valley, so I often see them and we'll do like a whole day, you know, hanging out. And that's one that she'll make a lot because we all love it. It sounds good. But yeah, I don't have to go back in time for it. I just got to go to Grass Valley. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Julie Casota, thanks so much for coming, teaching us all about cheese. It was really fun to have you here on the Dine 16. Yeah, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. such a great time on that interview uh it's funny how we do these interviews and I, I go in thinking like all right i have a game plan on how this might go and then all of a sudden we hang a right turn and we're talking about different cheeses and having a wonderful time julie was so incredibly knowledgeable and gave us so much cool information about cheeses my favorite cheese that i brought out of all of that was the long gray cheese the cheese that starts out semi-hard well more soft but then you pour champagne over it and it turns into a nice gooey deliciousness that you can scoop over the cracker i really want to start like a new year's eve dinner with that or something like that what do you think max yeah that sounds incredible as does blue cheese with dark chocolate and it's past halloween because we got this episode out late but she mentioned that that orange cheese i think it was called mimolette with candy corn that's made with clear headless spiders uh i mean you just you can't beat the world of cheese it's so interesting and she had all the knowledge it was really really fun we can't thank her enough for being on the show if you were listening to this episode in your car or doing dishes or anywhere where you kept hearing all these names of cheeses and you were just like oh god wait what was that what did they say plus a lot of them are french names i've had to look them up well we've put pretty much every cheese that she mentioned is in the show notes with some sort of link to it online where you can find that cheese and figure out where you want to go buy it so if you you know we we took the education in this and put it in the show notes for you so you can follow up and try any of these cheeses Yeah, and I'm definitely going to use those lists myself, and I'm going to enjoy a few of these scrumptious cheeses this December. And I actually recommend everyone, if you're doing a holiday party or getting together with some friends, head to our Instagram and find her website, and she does some awesome stuff, and she'll put together some cool boards for you guys. 
Yeah, she brought us a mini cheese board. We'll have pictures of that on Instagram as well, as well as a short video where we tried it in studio. She had this amazing cinnamon cheese that you can get at Trader Joe's, actually. She had this uh, mole spice charcuterie from that company, Coro's Charcuterie. So really fun stuff. Check out our Instagram to see all the fun we had in the studio with the cheeses. Really, really fun. There was one, you know, she had a lot of great information. There was only one thing she said that she was wrong about, which is we were talking about the health effects of cheese. And she said, you know, she gave some facts about why cheese is healthy for you and the amount of vitamin K and other things, which is true. But then she said, you don't really eat a lot of cheese in one sitting anyway. And I, I take, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I wouldn't say I take offense, but I would say that's not a true case for me. You put a cheese plate in front of me and uh, it's, it's good night. Challenge accepted. (laughs) All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube or on our website, Dine16.com. We've got a whole bunch more interviews recorded, so we're going to be back on schedule releasing an episode per week, at least through the end of the year and into January. So keep an eye out for those. And if you like this episode or any of our episodes, shoot our website to friends and family. Let them know about the show, and that's the best way for people to find us is when a friend or a family says, hey, check out the show. It's really fun. It's all about food in Sacramento. And if there's anyone you want to hear on the show, send them our way, and we would love to interview them. Yeah, you can reach either of us at either max at dine16.com or neil, N-E-I-L-L, at dine16.com, or just send us a direct message on Instagram. That handle is at dine 16 That's where you'll see photos from this studio session, links to cheeses, fun videos. We're going to start getting more active on our Instagram as well to kind of show you the food around Sacramento. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine One Six is a production of the Hear Me Now studio in Citrus Heights, California. We hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. We hope you're looking forward to the rest of the holiday season. And until next week, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.